This is Control Structure, episode 100 for January 27th, 2016. Big greetings to everyone listening. This show has notes. Visit thenexus.tv slash cs100 to see them. Today, I with me is Andrew Bailey. Hi. And we also have a former host, Christopher Thompson. Hello. And I'm Stephen Orvis. So, let me get this straight. The word failsafe means a button that, when pressed, will kill everyone in the building where the button is, safely and without fail. That wasn't the definition I was thinking of, but <laughs> that's an interesting or, or, one. Wait, wait, that's not the definition? Well, when someone goes up to you and yells, the failsafe has been activated, what does it mean? It means say your prayers, we're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> or or was I influenced too much by the Cold War? So I, my question was going to be, was this a Fallout uh, reference? No, actually. It's just something that I've, you know, gleaned from popular culture over the years. Aha. Uh-huh. So, what's been going on? Uh, not too much. I uh, missed the big snowstorm here uh, not too long ago that you guys apparently got a fair amount of. Yeah, because you live up north. Yeah, ironically, I live further north, so I got less snow. Yeah, go figure. But yeah, there was like uh, maybe four, maybe five inches or so. You know, a good snow, but like not epic world-ending snow like it was in some places. So it wasn't quite as bad as the medicine. Because like on the news and stuff, you saw the news, it sounded like Pittsburgh was bad, but it doesn't seem it was actually as bad as people made it out to be then. Yeah. So uh, how, how bad was it over there in Louisville? Uh, we just got the outskirt drifts. Everybody made it sound... Well, the media made it sound like so horrible. Apparently, the rest of Kentucky got slammed, except for Louisville. We were driving in, like, dry powders. Nice. So, yeah. By by the end of... By lunchtime, less than 20% of the people at my work building remained. In fact, there were so little people, the, the CEO bought everybody food from the, uh coffee shop there. <laughs> That's I nice. think it was only like a $400 bill. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, in other nudes, this is uh, the 100th episode of Control Structure. But uh, didn't wow. we start at zero, so it's like 101, actually? Yeah, 101st or something, but it's the one they called 100. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's great that we have, you know, the three big personalities. You know, it, it came out pretty good. You asked to be on just the right show. That's good. So, uh, let's see. Uh, well, speaking about control structure things, like on the level of the show, uh, there was a re-entry of some space debris over Sri Lanka in November. It seems to be from Lunar Prospector, a probe launched in 1998. We wouldn't be talking about this old thing if it was not prominently featured on our album art. So uh, I found, found that kind of interesting. It seems like they didn't really know what it was. Yeah. To like, well after burn up, they're like, oh, we figured it out. Yeah. And like, apparently they found it uh, in observation since 2009, and they determined that it went... You know, from obviously, you know, Earth's way upper atmosphere to beyond the moon. So I was trying to understand what we were talking about. We were saying something about the crashing at any of the moon and stuff earlier. Is this like the ship that conveyed the thing that they crashed in the moon and this has just been floating between the Earth and the moon all these so, years? So, like, from what I gathered, this was just the rocket that got it up there. Okay. And, like, the probe has been destroyed, you know, obviously for a very long time. So presumably this was someplace out by the moon when they jettisoned it from from the probe. It and seemed like, yeah. So then it just did the weird, some sort of an elliptical orbit or something, probably. Right. Uh, and for some reason, uh, I have my... Uh, okay, there. I have my one monitor hooked up through my uh, my receiver for my surround sound, and I just flicked it over to another source, so... <laughs> Almost okay. lost you. Um, so yeah, uh, let's see what else. Um, oh yeah, the uh, other thing about uh, Chris, uh, me and Steven's Chris, that is. Our Chris. Yeah, 
Uh, not to be confused with uh, Tom Chris or the Utah Chris. Um, but uh, so, let's see, it was two Sundays ago that uh, I went over to Pastor's house because I have this really nice grill over there. And you know, cooked up you know what was left of put cooked up what was left of the burgers and um, what was it? What was it? Oh yeah, tater tot casserole. So got over there and uh, you know started cooking it up. And uh, you know, Chris eventually shows up like two or three hours later, which we sort of knew. But uh, uh, so get there and you know. By that time, you know, everyone sort of, you know, dug in and, you know, was enjoying the burgers. And I think it was like after all of that, that Chris said, and for some reason, this is echoing. So for, let's see. Yeah, afterwards, Chris mentioned, you know, generally I don't eat spicy food because, like, I put some garlic and oregano in the burgers. So, uh, which is pretty strange because when he came here to my place, I'm not sure how many months ago, and we had chicken and tater tots, that he kind of flipped out because I did not have any spice for the chicken. <laughs> but apparently he claims that he does not like spicy food. So, go figure. So he's obsessed with not being obsessed with spices. Yes. Uh, let's see, I guess I'll talk to you about my grill later, Chris. Sounds good. It's it's pr- it's a pretty awesome story about how I got it. Raspberry, raspberry. Raspberry? 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 Raspberry! So, uh, this week in Raspberry Pi news, apparently this company called Iden yeah. is making this board thingy that fits the new Raspberry Pi Zero, and uh, it clusters them up into 16 of them. So it has a whole bunch of uh, ports on it, and you, it looks like you just plug her in, and uh, you have a super Raspberry Pi board. I'm not exactly sure what I'd use it for. I just kind of read through. It seems like they're all interconnected. Uh, be, I don't know how you... Is it just like different machines sitting there so you'd combine them together through the network or what? It's. I guess. I'm not sure what the immediate use for this would be. The interesting thing, though, uh, they were showing in the picture only one board in. They said they, they can't actually get enough Pi Zeros because they're all sold out. <laughs> Yeah, uh, update, since they had quite a lot of feedback, the company now has plans to integrate an Ethernet switch, add GPIO headers, and so forth, and likely sell it. So the switch implies, I guess, that each one is getting its own nick. Yeah, and then probably just, you know, a port somewhere else. See, that might work something for, like, a load balancing deal, where it's like you have a bunch of web servers, and each one's serving up requests, and then you can easily be maybe swapping them out or something on the fly. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Pretty interesting, though. That is pretty interesting. So uh, Eric Meyer, the guy who does, like, all the CSS stuff, um, recently, uh, well, uh, should I say, directs uh, our attention to his crusade for designing for crisis. Uh, He recently uh, posted a presentation that he did in October at an event apart, and uh, I just watched this today, and uh, he brings up a pretty good point. Uh, this this is all due to his uh, daughter, unfortunately, dying of brain cancer, uh, like last year, I think. That uh, so you know he's how should I say he was on vacation in New Jersey, and you know they figured out oh something's wrong with your kid. We need to life flight her to uh, Philadelphia, and. You know, as it turns out, that, you know, no one else can fit onto the helicopter. So, like, they have to be driven, like, the parents have to be driven, like, a hundred or so miles at, like, midnight to uh, this one children's hospital. And, like, all along the way, they're trying to figure out, it's like, okay, well, when we get there, what do we do? Uh, Like, is there, like, any kind of parking? What doors do we go into? Who do we talk to? And uh, so it's a really interesting story about... You know, 
how since he's in a crisis moment at midnight, you know, this hospital is like mostly dark because like they turned off the lights to save power. Mm. Uh, like there's no one at the front desk. There's no one in the emergency room, you know, like even like navigating through the website that uh, is like, well, this is an emergency, but we're not going to an emergency room. Um, and like all these other little uh, pet peeves about the design of this children's hospital website that was probably made for like the C-level executives and marketing and stuff doesn't exactly give him real useful information. And uh, so he decides to do something about it. And he looked at uh, like... How should I say this? Uh, like eventually he, uh, you know, had to get uh, an, an MRI for his kid. And uh, like he stepped into like the MRI, MRI room, I think at Children's Hospital of uh, Pittsburgh or something like UPMC, I think. And uh, like apparently they have like their kids MRI is like all decorated up and it looks fun. And uh, so I think it's like called the GE Adventure series or something. So, like, it'll look, you know, you can convince a kid that instead of, like, shoving you into this big thing that looks like it's going to vaporize you, it's like, you're going on adventure and stuff. Um, I think one of the things that's, like, not uh, mentioned here is, uh, like, uh, like the spaceship design, where they tell the kid, you're going into a wormhole, you're going to get on a spaceship, going into a wormhole, and you can tell that it's working because it makes noises. <laughs> 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 sitting here thinking about that though that could work both ways some kids that would be whoa let's do it and some kids would be like whoa don't do it <laughs> so but uh yeah it's just these little twerks that uh quirks to the design of the place that you know is really cheap but makes the experience a whole lot better like uh how should i say this they uh like he actually compares like Kids, they're kind of hyper and jumpy, so if you need to make them stay still for a while to, like, say, take an MRI scan, you probably need to sedate them. But with this, they hardly had to sedate any of them, well, maybe about half as much or so. Uh, but apparently, like, there's a few kids that didn't want to leave the place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having fun! Have, have either of you guys ever had an MRI? I have not. Nope. How about you? Well, I have had two MRIs, and I got to tell you, it is painful to sit there still for 40 minutes doing nothing and looking at a blank screen. And I got to tell you, the hardest part is when they say, don't move, and your body just starts to chink. Yeah, I bet. That would seem painful. So what is this guy's, uh, like, you're saying on the website he wasn't finding useful information for an emergency but then uh, this design to make it geared towards kids. I, I wasn't understanding he, the connection between he, the two. He looked at this and gathered aspects of what they did, like their methodologies to figure uh -huh. this out. So, you know, again, you know, it's designing for crisis. If your kid's getting an MRI, that's kind of a crisis, you know, mm -hmm. that brought you there. Um, then the whole deal about, you know, being in a dark hospital, you know, walking over to an elevator and apparently... Uh, this was the one in Philadelphia that, you know, apparently, like, when you walk into the elevator, you push a button, it says, going up, like a little, like a little kid saying that. Oh, okay. Seventh floor! And, like, having, like, in an empty hospital, an empty, dark hospital, having a little cheerful child, you know, I say, see. going up, is a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> like... Yeah, I could, I could see that being really, really creepy. Yeah, like... You know, at midnight, that's, you know, people in a lot of stress are the only people going to be in your hospital. So, like, maybe cut that out. Or, like, maybe yeah. staff who wish the kids would take a break. <laughs> so, um, you know, just, like, figuring out, like, different personas for your design. And he, like, pulled up the current or, like, maybe the website at the time. And if there had, if it had looked like this, which is essentially a block of text in the middle saying... Are you having an unexpected visit to us? Click here to, you know, figure out everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, using that, you know, and making the whole experience much better. So he's saying the website could have been tailored to different audiences and it wasn't tailored to what he needed at that point in time. 
Exactly. So, and he sort of figured out that if you design for people in crisis, you likely help everyone else too. Um, especially people on like airline reservation websites. Like he brings up, I think it was Hip Monk, that he just adored like the selections and sorts that you can do. Did you know Microsoft has opened their JavaScript engine? Well, they've been on an open source uh, streak of late. Uh, I recall that they did the, uh, uh, was it the whole .NET framework is now open source. Correct. It do that a while ago. Yeah, and I think they also open sourced Visual Studio quite a bit. Really? I hadn't heard about the Visual Studio. Oh, I think maybe a part was the Community Edition. Yeah. Or something. They had opened a section of it up, yeah. I love the .NET framework being open. Like, I use it quite a bit. I go poke around to see how a method works. It's like, oh, that's how they did it. It's kind of handy. So, yeah, another JavaScript engine, you say. Hmm. So, along with their open source streak, they've decided to open source their, um, I'm not sure if it's their current or if it's just the general name for the JavaScript engine that they have. It's probably the one in Edge, uh, maybe, but, uh, like, they decided to open source that. I'm not exactly sure what the consensus is, like, how good this is, but, you know, with along with this, uh, someone has now decided to integrate this into Node.js. See, this could be what brings Microsoft back into the browser market. If, like, suddenly now they have something good uh, in their web browser, people might start using it, perhaps. So, mm. so uh, have any of you used Node.js? I, I have not, have no. Not, except for a limited thing in the thing box, which I think is powered by it, but I didn't understand it. Where was said box? The, the thing box, oh. as in the Pi software, yeah. it runs Node.js, it says, using like red something or another that has like these fancy draggy things, and you can inject JavaScript code into various points on the draggy things and make it do magic. So Node.js is a very popular runtime that's used with web things. Um, not like browser side, but server side, and like even like compile time. So, uh, like, JavaScript and CSS, uh, like, one of the best practices is to minify it. In other words, take out all the white space and, like, a lot of the comments and junk and stuff to, you know, smash it down into one huge long line that will, that will execute identically to what you had before. Interesting. I've seen the Ruby on Rails doing that before, it or do the optimization of it, and like you said, the one long line, it or just like squish everything you got together and uh, supposedly optimize things. Exactly. So, like a lot of the tools that do that are implemented on Node.js, and uh, like I use it pretty much every day in uh, you know at, at work actually, uh, due to the fact that you know it seems to be that. Uh, you know, I'm the only one here that actually produces consumer-facing things. So, you are. As far as I know, we are not planning on switching to uh, Chakra Core for uh, Node.js. But, uh, you know, that's pretty much controlled. Uh, I wouldn't say absolutely controlled, but mostly controlled by, uh, like, our cloud service host, I think. Um, like, it's kind of complicated, but they make, like, a reference application for their platform... And then, like, my company takes it and modifies it for our clients. And as a part of that, you know, there's a Node.js script in there that you need to run while you're editing things. And then once you save it, it realizes, oh, this file changed, so let me recompile that for you. So what would the advantage, looking at ChocoCore, so they're saying that uh, you can use ChocoCore in Node.js optionally, so it sounds like it's an equivalent swapping what's the advantage to using chaka core that microsoft is pushing i wonder as far as i can figure it's just an alternative so like i'm not exactly sure like which one is faster but you know it's an option out there that you know someone can decide it's like oh i hate this one aspect of this one other engine so let me look at chaka core and oh there's little tweaks i can do here and suddenly becomes better so hmm nice so, um, I don't think anybody here uses an IBM thing. I don't have IBMs. And uh, you don't either, Chris? 
Um, I'm going through all this. No, we don't use IBM. So, uh, something that kind of surprised me is that they bought Ustream.tv. Uh, this is a, how should I say, it's not exactly a popular uh, service for, you know, streaming live video content. But apparently that's what IBM is all interested in right now. So, uh. Uh, it, they only bought it for $150 million, or $130 million, rather. But, um, like, compared to things like Instagram, that's pretty cheap. Uh, Correct. So, uh, apparently they, you know, didn't exactly get traction in, you know, the market. Apparently, Justin.tv and uh, especially Twitch uh, pretty much took all their uh, market. And I think uh, YouTube actually has a live feature now. So it feels a lot like uh, the Ustream is geared towards businesses is kind of yes. the feeling I'm getting as I'm browsing the website. Yes, they uh, sort of pivoted, I guess. Uh, towards doing a more to B to B, you know, business to business yeah. type of model. So, so perhaps that's where that's where IBM's hoping to get in is on like the web server side and powering some massive. Hey, it even says an IBM company underneath. It does. So yeah, this is. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what they're up to, but hey, it's IBM. They don't exactly do things by accident. So. Mm. Well, they could be acquiring it for some sort of like a conference technology. Yeah, that's kind of what what a few people are thinking. Um, I'm not exactly sure how uh, Watson would integrate with Ustream. That's kind of like their, uh, I don't want to say artificial intelligence, but it's Mm -hmm. practically there. Hey, uh, you are pretty interested in the next one. Yeah, the server that was turned... That was last boot well booted up in 1997 and ran nonstop since well a couple weeks ago well last week without a single replacement part, which is pretty impressive. So that's like almost 20 years. So it's had uh, apparently a 200 megahertz Pentium processor with 32 megs of RAM and a ginormous. Four gigabyte hard drive for your cloud storage needs. That's so big. It is. That's you know how many floppy disks that is. That's like billions. I remember seeing once upon a time a picture of Bill Gates up in this tree, and he's like you know this rope thing hooked up. He's in a harness. There's this huge stacks of paper below. Him. He's holding a CD-ROM, and he's like, "Look, this is that many sheets of paper." <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you know, uh, what was this machine doing? Because it says it was doing its job fine. Yeah, so it was heavily firewalled, of course, due to the fact that it hadn't been rebooted in about 20 years. Um, <laughs> so, uh, let's see, I think it mostly did like things like mail or something. Uh, let's see. It collected user session data summaries or connection summaries, rather, held copies of invoices, generated warning messages about data and call usage, rates and actual data against limits. So I'm not exactly sure if that was VoIP or, like, more of a POTS or maybe a maybe a PBX system. Um, mm. And uh, it let them do real-time account inquiries and so forth. So, like, nothing that heavy, but definitely some, like, it could be like a key part of a internal business setup. I was uh, interesting. It said something about the operating system that the code was tightly bound to the operating system that later versions of the OS would have and ultimately did require substantial rework. So it's almost sounded like they're custom writing the uh, OS to do this stuff. Or, or maybe applications were very tightly bound to that one specific version. Okay, I see what you're saying. So it's saying if they upgrade the OS, then uh, it's not going to work anymore, so they have to just keep it as right. is, implying why they probably never bothered to reboot it to update the kernel, because probably they didn't want to. So uh, the 4-gig drive is a Seagate for those of you looking to avoid drives that cannot deliver more than 19 years of error-free operations. <laughs> so it, uh-huh. like that hard drive apparently was making some noises and that's why they uh, turned it off. Uh, so, so at the time of con- well, 
At the time of construction, we included 24-volt case fans with proper bearings, but running on 12 volts. These ran slowly and quietly, but moved plenty of air. The clean conditions probably helped them survive. So, and they were all running at the time it was switched off. So, apparently cooling fans work. Yes, and it was a mm. custom build, by the way, so. I so, see. Yeah. I love how he uh, wrote the article about it, but then said he just pitched it at the end and he never bothered cracking the case. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, look at this. This is so exciting. And then it's like, we pitched it, though. <laughs> so. Do you guys have anything that's all about your companies? Not that I can think of. I mean, it was. Yeah, it was almost a year ago that we threw out a whole bunch of uh, old stuff at my office. And that was at the time when my CEO said that I was next in line for a laptop upgrade. But I only got that new laptop like a month ago. (laughs) And it was kind of depressing when I saw that my manager uh, got a new laptop sometime this summer. So, Mm. uh, let's see. Uh, You're using Firefox. I am using Firefox. Chris, are you using Firefox? No, I haven't used Firefox in ages. Hmm. Let's see. I, for some reason, I thought that you had switched back or something. But uh, as no. of as of Firefox forty four, you can do a really neat trick with WebGL in that you can essentially put put all of that onto another thread in the background without interfering with the JavaScript uh, running on the page. So uh, I believe it's called uh, off-screen canvas. So you know you can pretty much draw everything, and because uh, you know to really get the maximum performance of your JavaScript in your 3D animations, it kind of helps to uh, have at least a thread that pretty much does nothing else. So as of Firefox 44, which was released today, uh, uh, it's. It's also hidden behind a uh, about config option, but you can try this out. So is the uh, practical application of this is now your web page when it loads. It doesn't necessarily have to freeze while it's rendering pretty spinny 3D things that scroll on your screen. Instead, you can keep scrolling up and down on your screen and clicking buttons. Is well, that, that's, that was the idea before, but now... Like, when you scroll, it should still keep that smooth animation. Okay. So it doesn't have to stop while you scroll. scroll. Yes. Mm. I feel like I've seen that before, things stopping when I'm scrolling on a page. Yeah. Or, like, if you, say, do an Ajax call or something, Mm. that it'll still be smooth. Okay. So, hey, speaking about graphics and such, uh, AMD uh, finally launches GPU Open. So this is... uh, how should I say, AMD's reaction to, like, all the NVIDIA uh, technologies that have been going around. Um, Like, there's tons of them. Uh, That's our, like, uh, I think it's called Gameworks. Uh, So, like, unfortunately, like, that's, Gameworks is not open source. So AMD's like, okay, well, why don't we make an alternative? So they, you know, decided, okay, well, probably the best idea to do that is to, you know, do something open source. Uh, because, unfortunately, they're kind of strapped for resources right now. So, you know, going open source would, you know, definitely be a good survival tactic. Um, so, like, I'm not exactly sure if their, like, actual GPU specifications are open, so, like, people can make drivers. But, again, it's more about the libraries on top of those things. Because, whoa... Apparently that takes pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, in the past, AMD has accused NVIDIA of, like, uh, with their GameWorks libraries to, like, purposefully sabotage uh, performance on AMD cards. So the idea with this is that that won't happen anymore. Interesting. So, um, like... I don't think any recent games had very much GameWorks stuff in them. Uh, I heard that Fallout 4 has some, uh, but uh, I, I especially remember playing Borderlands 2 with like their custom physics stuff. But like I didn't really find that very uh, how should I say, maybe not useful. But like it didn't really add to the experience. There's just like you know like globs of stuff flowing around, and it was kind of unrealistic. <laughs> 
So uh, I didn't really see like a download now thing for their gaming engine. Is it uh, still a concept or did they actually uh, have it? I don't actually see a link, but uh, like I remember this from uh, one of their technology presentations earlier this month that, you know, this is something that they really want to do and get behind. The article about uh, why I quit my quit my dream job at Ubisoft. Do you play any of the uh, Assassin's Creed games, Chris? Not anymore. Not after uh, the Revolution War. Well, yeah, I haven't played it because, honestly, I can't stand it anymore. Oh. I like the first and second one really good, but then it just gets repetitive and too easy. Ah. So, uh, this guy was working, I believe it was in the Ubisoft uh, Montreal. Uh, or no, it was Quebec. Uh, Ubisoft Quebec. Um, that, uh, like, they opened up, he was, he remembers when he was, like, uh, back in 2005, he heard when they, uh, opened that up, and he's like, oh, I want to, you know, work there, so apparently it was his dream job, and, uh, so, uh, shortly after he was hired, uh, one of his managers asked, you know, what, where do you, uh, f- where do you want to find yourself in, like, 10 years, and he's like, you know, I want to be working on, like, architecture you know of the games like you know like a very high technical position and he eventually did that uh he was like one of the major design leads on assassin's creed syndicate which i believe was the one released last year um i got like horrible ratings i'm not sure about that one but the one before had like terrible technical problems so uh so, like, apparently during his time, like, initially he was, like, just doing ports to, like, Wii U or something. Uh, at some point he was working on two internal concepts that, you know, was, like, a very small group uh, within the company. Uh, like, it was, like, designed to, you know, do a pitch to, you know, higher management, but they didn't go through with that. But, like, he really liked, you know, doing that. You know, just, like, something small... That, you know, was kind of passionate uh, to him. So after, you know, doing the uh, Assassin's Creed, you know, he's like, okay, well, uh, I quit. Uh, <laughs> he uh, went and uh, started a small indie game business uh, with his girlfriend. And the odd thing of it was is that, you know, everyone, you know, like his family and some of his friends thought he was crazy. You know, like, why would you leave such a, you know, safe job that, you know, apparently is sort of celebrity level position, well-paid job, tons of benefits and such. And, uh, you know, everyone was asking, he's like, why are you leaving that? But every everyone he worked with, they seemed kind of envious that he was leaving. <laughs> so uh. that's, that's a kind of interesting uh, perspective there. So, and it- another thing that he was... Uh, kind of concerned him was you know now that you you're working on a team of like 200 for assassin's creed uh he found that people get really specialized you know like this is the most important part of the game like this this lamp post i made that and then the manager comes by and says see that wow. row of lamp posts i approve those so like he was just kind of sick of this specialization and not caring about the big picture of things. I, I, I as I was reading through and he was talking about the smaller teams and such, it was kind of reminding me of a work. We have uh, a few different teams and we kind of have a, a giant set of teams that work on the core product. And then we have uh, the other uh, team that kind of works on newer products for the company where I'm at. And, uh, we have a smaller team, like right now the project I'm working with, we, well, we lost a developer the other day, but developer-wise, we have uh, two guys other than me. So it's three developers and we're working with a QA guy too, but uh, it's a really small team, so you kind of get to know everyone, and he was talking a lot about getting to know people and how that helps you work, and you jump onto whatever needs done and say, like, hey, I can do this. Like, I'm not normally a database script person, sorry, Chris, I don't like databases, but I do a lot of database no, no work. Offense, that's just more jobs for me. There you go. See, <laughs> some people are just better at the database stuff. But uh, Thank goodness. Yes. But anyways, uh, I still jump on in this project and do a fair amount of the database stuff because, hey, there's a task out there that needs done. And so I just jump on and do it. 
and we're a team instead of like, oh, that's your job. It's it's a team effort, which I mean, maybe specialty, maybe you're not quite as good. But on the flip side, you're learning. And so I've learned a lot of other roles that I wouldn't maybe normally do as much of just because uh, I'm working on a smaller team. So and, uh, you know, along with that, you know, it's just kind of refreshing to do something else for a change. That's true. You know, that's that's kind of like that's I think that might have been one of the points he was hammering on Mm -hmm. that, you know, you know, kind of like know a little bit more than, you know, what you're, quote, supposed to. But, um, you know, like I've noticed this myself in that I think it was actually my first job that, you know, instead of, you know, working on I think it was actually a flex application that I needed to uh, like write some kind of database script to I'm not exactly sure what it was for, but like I was writing this database script, but it was like completely different from like the action script stuff I was writing for the flex. And I found that so refreshing just to, you know, just do something else. It's for good to a, get a break. Even for a day. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. let's see, like even at my current job, I remember uh, at some point like doing some sort of data transformation because I w- it got me to work with Python. <laughs> so... Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. So, uh, hey, speaking about games and uh, even graphics stuff, there's uh, big news shaping up in the uh, GPU graphics memory world. Uh, so, uh, let's see. Pretty much every high-end card has had GDDR5-type memory on it uh, for quite a while, like for at least five years, I think. Uh so the uh I'm not exactly sure how to explain this uh JDEC they're kind of like the world standards body for memory uh they just approved GDDR5X and it's supposed to you know again increase bandwidth and uh like maybe with in- the increased bandwidth you can you know lower the power consumed you know, if you don't need this much bandwidth, you can scale it back and, like, not have as many memory chips on your board. But, uh, you know, that's that's great and all, but that's not the real revolution because the real revolution is coming uh, in that, uh, you know, uh, it was high bandwidth memory. And unfortunately, I don't have it in the dock here, but uh, recently Samsung started doing... Uh, HBM2 memory, like manufacturing it. So uh, this, I'm not exactly sure uh, if AMD will be using this, but apparently NVIDIA has a contract uh, with Samsung to provide HBM for their next series of chips. Mm, nice. So does that mean we need to start buying stocks? <sighs> Maybe. But, uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, if you do not need a graphics card right this moment uh, or even soon, it will probably be a good idea for you to wait. Because with with all this HBM2 stuff, it's going to be a lot, uh, like your memory bandwidth is going to be like a lot more. Hmm. Well, I just bought me a graphics card so I could play Fallout 4. Yeah, well, that was a GTX 950? Yeah. Or is it 960? 950 or 960. That's pretty good. Yeah. What do you guys uh, think of encryption? Encryption is like the best thing ever. So uh, the NSA chief apparently actually thinks that we should encrypt things in contrast to the FBI director that thinks we should have backdoors and everything. So, Hmm. well, hold, hold on. Doesn't the NSA like to use backdoors? Yeah, that's kind of the puzzling part of it. I, I think the well card there is in the article it mentions how the NSA is actually quite good at hacking things and installing things on people's computers. And so they actually don't care if it's encrypted going from your computers to some other guy's computer because they actually already have a keylogger installed in both computers. So they got it anyways. <laughs> They're good with it. So uh, the director has said that encryption is foundational to the future and arguing about it is a waste of time. That's a pretty strong statement. And it's good to see that somebody on that side is uh, thinking clearly. Probably the NSA, from their point of view, seeing how easy it is to crack things, they're like, seriously, it's really fragile. Are you going to 
hit the egg with a hammer and see if the egg still wor- protects the inner contents. So, um, another thing about the NSA is that they're actually supposed to protect the information of the government. Mm-hmm. So, in that way, they realize that, you know, strong encryption is a very good thing for national security. They're talking something about the, I, I wasn't familiar with this, it's something about the o, OPM, uh, is said, uh, referring to the massive hack of the Office of Personal Management involving the personal data of about 20 million people who had gotten background checks. So I'm not sure if that's just a plain hack or if it was saying that some encryption wasn't used that should have been used or that was weak or something. I'm I'm not exactly sure what exactly happened, but far as I know, it was a hack that occurred over a very long period of time. So in other words, people weren't paying attention and is like transferring the data. I say, oh, we're at ninety percent downloading. <laughs> they just keep downloading. I thought you said something, but uh, I was just laughing at his comment. But uh, yeah, it's. So the NSA, at least the director of the NSA, wants encryption. The FBI wants back doors. And uh, let's see. What's the, uh, I want to say, not the uh, Chamber of Commerce, but uh, like the other. Uh, it was the last podcast, wasn't it? Maybe. The Securities, no, not the Securities and Exchange Commission, but uh, like the other part of the government that's supposed to, you know, like promote business. Like they're they of course you know want strong encryption. Yes. So you know there there are you know different conflicting views within government. So I'd say uh, apparently the answer is the FBI needs to hire some hackers. <laughs> yeah. Like the NSA did. So yeah. what's interesting was talking about uh, Comey. Who I, I think that would be referring to the FBI. Uh, Comey. Comey. Yes. Yeah. Comey. I think they'd be referring to the FBI guy. Uh, he's saying about he's now not pushing for a law. Instead, he's pushing for companies to just not encrypt stuff yeah. nicely. But then it says the White House the lawyer is saying, just wait till like some security breach, breach happens of national importance, and then uh, be like, oh, we need to encrypt, decrypt everything. So, or in the case of the Office of Personal Management, we need we need to encrypt things. Um, <laughs> so. Um, Let's see, there is some other line about that, but, uh, you know, so, oh, yeah. And then I think the Obama administration was, you know, asked about this and they declined to, you know, say anything about putting back doors into things. In other words, they're doing it then? No, I believe like what it was made out to be is that they do not want back doors and things. But why did they decline... Mm-hmm. Because apparently Obama was against backdoors. Oh, so they just didn't want to be thrown in the fray. Pretty much. Interesting. So uh, they appear, you know, at least Obama appears to be on the side of, you know, pro-encryption. Interesting. So, yeah, that's good. So uh, tell us about your Atari. You were talking about this uh, uh, last week. Yes, last week. Or last episode. Last episode, yes. So that episode, it was more or less uh, dead from a gaming perspective because the game port for the primary controller uh, was no longer functional and I had desoldered it from the board years ago in an attempt to fix it. Did you finally figure out what model it was? I did figure out what model it was. It's like a 600 XL or something like that. Uh, but anyways, so I looked at the old port that I had been trying to solder uh, paper clips onto, and then solder the paper clips onto the board, and realized that was pretty hopeless. Uh, just making proper connections, and it was nope. That is not a 600 XL apparently. I do know what it is. Try 450. Just. Oh, that's it. It's a 600 XL. There right. we go. It's a, it is a 600 XL. Uh, anyways, so I was searching on the internet for a port for it, and apparently this one website sold ports, but no longer sold ports. Uh, but they didn't like have the right not the right picture. Anyways, I was like on eBay and I was looking for right angle DB 
five or whatever it be ports, and I uh, happened across the guy that was selling ports, and they looked exactly the same. It wasn't uh, said anything about Atari or anything. It was just right angle uh, pins. I ordered uh, five of them because he would only sell me five at a time. So I got my five of them and uh, compared it to the original, and it looks exactly like the original. So I'm thinking I should start an eBay listing up with the last four and sell them as a Tory game ports. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what they are. Anyways, I uh, toured the board apart and uh, got the solder out of there and soldered it back in and plugged it in. Uh, it appears to work. The space key no longer works on the keyboard, Ooh. which may or may not be caused by me moving the ribbon cable around for the keyboard. Don't know. Good thing is you can play River Raid without using the keyboard. So uh, at least that's more or less functional. A little bit issue with the sound. The sound's not quite right. It doesn't play the sound. But it does play the game. And it uh, controls about as well as it ever did previously. It's not a fine-tuned controller. It kind of wiggles some a little funny. It doesn't... It's it's not the precision you get with a modern joystick. I think that's part of the nostalgia, nostalgia yeah. of... A gaming system like that, it doesn't exactly work, but uh, it's You're, a fun project. It's it's just cool and interesting that it does work at all. Exactly. It just looking at the machine, what it is, and how long ago it was. Looking at the port, the parts on it, seeing that you can actually replace defective parts on this motherboard. I was kind of it felt like a Raspberry Pi. I was just like, hey, I can like work on this and like mod it and stuff. That's the feeling you always get when you look at it. Could you connect one of those ports to a Raspberry Pi? I'm pretty sure you could probably figure something out. That's an interesting idea there. So, with you mentioning all of this, I mentioned last time about the documentary where uh, they went to the landfill in Alamogordo, New Mexico to dig up all those Atari cartridges. And uh, sure enough, that it is free... You can go and watch it, but I found that uh, Microsoft's own video service, like, it won't work. Like, I even tried it in Internet Explorer. It wouldn't work. So I found it on Vimeo and watched it there, and it is awesome. So, and spoilers, they found them. Although not as much as they were expecting, but it was pretty cool. So, uh, oh, thanks. Uh... So we did get some podcast feedback this time, so that's great. So uh, Ryan sends us uh, some uh, lines. Uh, so he says, Hi, Stephen. Thanks for speaking into the Microsoft. Hi, Ryan. You're welcome. So Ryan says, I've never been a fan of tater tots or casseroles. He's like, well, Ryan, you're missing out. Tater tots are awesome. Wait, you're from Minnesota, the land of the hot dish. You're kind of like an Italian who doesn't like pasta. <laughs> so uh, Ryan says lol intel skywell doesn't sound bad I tested prime 95 with Matt's recently purchased 6700k but it only ran overnight so perhaps it wasn't enough to cause that issue uh, with that one bug with heavy math mm -hmm, I remember that yeah uh, hopefully Matt's doesn't break when he brings his computer back and forth to the studio and his house we had to move it twice because he had a bad motherboard, and it survived so far. And, well, again, it ap apparently depends on what kind of heatsink you have. If you have the stock one, you're okay. Uh, I'd know some of this if you two did a podcast regularly. Uh, Ryan says, I don't think the lack of feature updates will be enough to cause upgrades. Enterprise seems to be the worst issue in regards to Legacy Internet Explorer. And, yes, I agree. And also China and the Third World. Um, Ryan says, Vista feels very old to me. So does 7 very often, but I'm sort of weird. Buy Windows 8. <laughs> so what do you, what do you think about that? Windows 8? No, about Windows 7 feeling old. Mm, to me, it feels like it's still a modern, good operating system. I know, system. it's, it's still shiny. It is shiny, and it's got, like, it shines through the bar, like, in your taskbar, you can, it's translucent. Yeah, yeah see all that, that's shiny it everywhere. It's shiny and pretty, it's got all the eye candy. Remember way back when everyone was so excited about Longhorn and how pretty it was gonna be and yeah. everything? Yeah. It, it still looks just as pretty. It, 
does look just as that first day I saw in it. In fact, it is exactly as pretty. It does look exactly as pretty. <laughs> uh, Ryan says, I like encryption, and so should you. Search is cool and all, but it's so hard to make people click on ads. It's not that search is in decline. It's that the best carrier for ads now and search-based ads is also declining. Android doesn't seem like a moneymaker. Maybe their car project will be, but so far I don't think they have a blockbuster great income source for the near future. Uh, And uh, again, I say, you know, it's hard to make people click ads because most people are blocking them anymore. Um, Ryan says about the uh, accelerated mobile pages, uh, we talked about AMP on PodKit a while ago. I'm not a huge fan of it. I don't like non-standard tags and some super special sugar-coated loading model. It seems like a way out of a simple problem by making a complex, worse problem. In the AMP docs, there's all sorts of allowances for ads. On one hand, I think it's a noble goal to stop page load jumping. I think the form and input tags are not allowed because AMP seems to be designed for read-only pages. I'm going to guess that the iframe does not have to be compliant because ads. If Google wanted, there could be a plain text model through RSS, but no! I would prefer a better solution for HTML, CSS, JS, interop to handle the image size issues. And I would just like to add that it seems that big browser vendors have been moving away from RSS for years. Chrome never supported RSS well to begin with. And I'm not sure how long it was, but Firefox dropped the RSS button quite a while ago. It never quite got why the RSS never caught on, because to me, it seemed like a really neat idea. Yeah, and you know, I thought it was a pretty good idea too, so I hand-implemented impl- an RSS library for my blog. Nice. So yeah, it's it's pretty simple when you look at it. You know, just like one of those S's stand for. Hmm. So Ryan says viewport. Here's a great intro to viewport on MDN. So yeah, I threw a you know he threw a link into the Mozilla Developer Network oh. wiki. So to pretty much explain what the viewport meta tag is all about. Viewport so, is not a pixel. So uh, I believe it was Ryan actually. You know. I you know designed my website with the breakpoints, but I did not put that meta tag in there. And I asked Ryan to you know pull it up on I think it's Nexus Seven mm-hmm. or something. Sorry, Ryan, for for uh, bringing that up. I know you hate your Nexus Seven, or did or whatever. Um, that uh, you know, he's like, well, no, it still looks the same as the desktop one. And apparently he dug around a little bit and found that you need to put that uh, meta tag in there. Uh-huh. So, good job. Ryan says, right. the best joke in the world is my print styles for the Nexus. You cannot print podcasts. And I'm not sure how... Uh, I haven't mentioned this for a while, but I used to print Nexus.tv podcasts at work and leave them in the printer tray. That was right when no one used the printer anymore due to not podcasting reasons. Okay. <laughs> like, it just seemed to be like no one used the printer after I started doing that. <laughs> okay. Because I, I remember it was back when, uh, like, the uh, programmers and the designers were in different rooms, and the designers would constantly print things, like, maybe two or three times a day. Okay. They'd be walking over to the programmer room, grabbing something, and walking out. And I'm like, okay, maybe I could troll them by printing something and not picking it up. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Ryan says, wait, 100 kilobyte CSS? That's pretty big for your blog. And, well, like I once said, I base 64'd all of my custom fonts. And with gzip, it roughly compresses back to regular base 256 sizes. I also set expire and e-tag headers for content things, so they end up cached quite well. So, uh, as uh, as a side note, as for tags, I even added some tags to my uh, blog recently. So, uh, let's see, one in particular, uh, strict transport security. Uh, I actually did this a while back when I got my certificate for that. So, like, it has max age equals something or other and includes subdomains. So is that max age in seconds? Yes. Okay. 
So um, what I actually did there is I wrote code that will open up and examine the uh, certificate uh -huh. that's installed on my web server and use that to calculate how long it should be. So that's like roughly, I think, when my certificate expires, okay. minus 10 days. So like what that tells the browser mm -hmm. is to always use HTTPS for this domain. And in this case, it's subdomains too. Okay. So if someone links to HTTP, like for that amount of time, it will always automatically transfer to HTTPS. Okay, so you're capping it for the length of time that your certificate is good. Yes. Okay, I get it. And Wolfram Alpha tells me that now plus how many ever seconds is Sunday, March 13th um, at approximately 7.30. So if I look at my uh, certificate, uh, let's see, you have new certificates... See, expiration expires on March 13th. So, yeah, it's exact. Nice. So, and then another thing is that for my content stuff, um, I'm not sure why I did not have this, but I have a, uh, oh, what is it? A, uh, a content length header. Yeah, there. So... Uh, apparently, with a content length header, uh, browsers will figure out like what your connection speed is and whether or not it should open additional connections to your server. Oh, neat! So you can see some pipelining going on. You can see like the orange right there. That's yes. the uh, like the amount of time it takes to connect. Okay. And because I'm using HTTPS, there's a few handshakes going back and forth. So it looks right now it looks like it might only do about three connections. So, optimizations, man. It's pretty neat. And uh, speaking about HTTPS, Ryan says, One day I will try out all this Let's Encrypt stuff. He's like, well, Ryan, I think you said you liked encryption. Let's Encrypt is awesome, and you should check it out right now. Apparently, Google gives you free juice when you HTTPS all the things. Oh, wow. So, and... Uh, Ryan says, Goodwill will get the toilet. Sounds pretty suspicious. <laughs> and, well, I'm pretty sure that they would accept an actual toilet. Nothing suspicious at all. <laughs> <sighs> you remember that thing, Chris? Not the, really, no. The uh, the toilet server, it was... I think it was the one I, that... I the toilet server. Yeah, I think it was the one that maybe Steven left with you. Not yeah, me. not, I could not have, me. I could have it to work. Yeah, so uh, it looks like I've completely retired that, you know, wiped it and uh, like reinstalled, uh, I think it was Ubuntu or Zubuntu. So, yeah, sitting by the door, I want to take it to Goodwill. So huh. it, it had a good run. Oh, it was a good run for being free. Yes, indeed. So, uh, yeah, that's... It's at least, what, 10 years old now? Something like that, because it has a single-core Athlon 64. So, yeah, that'd be about 10-ish years. Maybe wow. a little, Maybe 11. I think a Raspberry Pi can run faster. <laughs> Raspberry Pi is pretty slow. Um, my bet is still on the Athlon. Mm. So, um... Yeah, that seems to be it. So uh, I guess this is episode. Oh, I do have one bone to pick. I don't like encryption right now. Why is that? I decided to encrypt my phone. I've been encrypting for eleven hours now. <laughs> oh yes, I forgot about that. You told me, told us it at the beginning. So I haven't been able to use my phone all day. So uh, how old is it? It's a Samsung Galaxy S5. Wow. Yeah, not that old. So, uh, uh, speaking about that, I want to encrypt my phone. Uh, when I ever decide to upgrade to Windows 10, I will encrypt my desktop. Uh, maybe when I uh, upgrade to the next uh, Ubuntu version, I might encrypt my server also. But, like, that means that whenever, like, there's an unexpected power outage... You know, that would force me to actually log in from somewhere else. Mm, yeah. Unless, 
unless I do that, you know, stuff the key on a Raspberry Pi and hide it somewhere. I like that idea. <laughs> of course, we told the internet what you're going to do now, so I don't know if it's safe anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, my apartment is a fairly large place. I mean, there's plenty of places I could shove something. True. So. And um, anybody who's breaking into Andrew's apartment cares about a little Raspberry Pi? Well, I mean, the thing of it is, like, I'm trying to, you know, deter, you know, like, common criminals. Not necessarily someone that will break in and freeze my RAM. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, like, my server is, like, just right there. So if, like, there'd be another piece that they would have to hunt around for to actually make it work, you know, that'd be a good thing for me. So... Uh, let's see. I think that might be just about it for this episode. So, uh, uh, don't forget if you want to submit any kind of feedback, go ahead and do that on the nexus.tv. And don't forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day. So, back up all your stuff and encrypt that stuff. Or push it up to GitHub. <laughs> yes, for some things you can do that. Uh, but not your, uh, like API keys or anything. Yeah, don't do those. So, uh, hi, Mom. How you doing? So, uh, I guess because this is the 100th episode, I want to thank all of the uh, musicians that I've stolen music off of over the, over the past few years. So, uh, let's see. Anything else to add? You know? um, right now, I'm super excited about uh, the possible contribution I might be able to make to NLOG soon. I'm trying to get it passed. Did your uh, pull request? Uh, the guy's working with me. He's not. He didn't like slam me at first. He's like, "Hey, that's a good idea, but maybe we could do it this way." So I was like, "Okay, I'll try it that way." So I did one, and then apparently it also has to pass .NET three point five, which I don't like because I use .NET four point five six features all the time now. Uh, so, .NET four point five six. Yes, I believe it's five six. Okay. Uh, but anyways. So I use the newer .NET features, and the older ones don't compile on his continuous integration build machine. It's really neat. You do a commit, and it just, like, automatically runs build. Like, that's the, the latest .NET build, uh-huh. and that's the older 3.5 build. And so it just, like, fouls, and you can click it and get, like, a build log, and it tells you why. And then this is the cool thing about GitHub. I'm, like, actually up here in GitHub editing the files manually and can do the commit from GitHub, and it runs on this continuous build server, and it's going to run the unit tests. That is ultimate cool. Yeah. Uh, one of the jobs, I, a few of them actually had uh, continuous integration running. So, like, you never wanted to break the build. Because <laughs> everyone knows. See, at my place, they don't have the uh, continuous integration build server. I finally did cruise control on my desktop. And then we have an internal wiki site. So I put up a, a box in there that says local build status. And it says valid. I use JavaScript to go get the status. <laughs> and it says valid when someone breaks it. But yeah. That's good. Uh, anything interesting you're doing, Chris? You're doing, Chris? Um, no, not really. I've been mostly playing games. Working on my automated database gathering tool at work. It will go out, scan all the servers, collect all the database information. Hmm. Which is actually version compatible. <laughs> Except for with 2000. Oh, like SQL Server 2000? Yes, yeah, SQL Server 2000. Wow. Sadly, I still have a few of those. Hmm. So, yeah, you know, that's pretty much what happens in the winter. You know, like I've been wanting to, you know, now that I actually have my blog, you know, since I'm now actually actively maintaining my blog again, now I actually want to put stuff on my blog. So, <laughs> like, I hardly ever, you know, did anything from games on last year. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully I can start taking screenshots and, you know, writing posts and stuff. So, yeah. <clears throat> Like, Pennsylvania Chris, he actually came over to my place, and, like, he sort of rewrote a few of my posts. Like, I'm thinking oh, about... dramatically? Yeah. Like, I'm thinking about uh, opening a new section <laughs> just for those. There you go. So, uh, let's see. I guess that's all for me, and that's all for you. Yep. That's all for you, Chris. That's all for me. So, uh, have a good one. You too. Take care.